Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Ain't gonna hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking Last Action Hero from 1993. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you've already seen the movie. Buddy. Yeah. I know you like Arnold. Um, no I don't. I know you have a lot of Arnold movies. Alright, for people who don't know, back when I used to collect physical mediums, I started a bit of an Arnold Schwarzenegger collection. And up until I stopped essentially collecting movies, I think I got up to like 24 or 5 movies in my collection for Arnold. So yeah, I guess you could say uh, I'm a bit of a fan. I'm so sorry that I made you watch this movie again. I'm so sorry you made me watch this movie. (laughs) When you said last week Arnold Schwarzenegger's and that split second before you said last action hero i was like is he gonna pick something like offbeat like maggie or something that maybe fits like our kind of horror leanings with end of days no you picked last action hero yeah i admit it was a mistake but it was kind of nice going back to revisit this movie no no it wasn't i could barely get through it the first time and i had to watch it a second time for the review because i tend to watch everything twice and I didn't know if I could do it. This movie is junk. It It's just too long, man. That is definitely one of the problems. An Arnold Schwarzenegger action comedy should not be more than your traditional like 90 minutes. Get yeah. in. Get out. You know what you're there for. No, this is too long and it's not good. No, it's not. It's a... a... Two hour, 11 minute follow up to T2. I don't know what he was thinking, but after Terminator 2 came out, this is what you do. Like, that's, if it were anybody else, it probably would have tanked their career. And I mean, T2 is one of my all time favorite movies. It's probably why I'm such a big Arnold fan. And not just like Arnold movies or action movies, like, T2 is one of my all time favorite movies. Same, man. It's great. This is not T2. (laughs) <laughs> not even close it has t2 references at least three that i caught um sure we'll get to that i guess i mean oh, the yeah, obvious the obvious one is the cameo right um, yeah. um actually i didn't know if I, I don't even know if i caught on to any others oh whatever whatever let's let's just we'll get, get to it. it let's get to it all right what there is no point in delaying this why don't we just rip off the band-aid and get into this all right, man. Um, the movie starts within a movie. Uh, the scene of uh, Jack Slater confronting uh, the mass murderer, the Ripper, mm-hmm. who uh, we love Tom Noonan, but uh, it wasn't his best performance, uh, who has taken uh, kids hostage on the roof of the elementary school. Uh, during the confrontation, Jack kills the Ripper, but the Ripper kills Jack's son as well. Uh Really a great way to start the movie, I thought. Super dark. No one really expects a kid to die at the beginning of an Arnold movie. At least I didn't. Um, what do you think about uh, Tom Noonan as the Ripper here? I like this scene. Tom Noonan was fine just because they really didn't give the Ripper much to do. No. He had to 
convey everything just through his acting. You didn't really get any backstory. He had cool makeup, um, but like his performance, the way he spoke, his choice of voice, um, and that he's got those eyes, man. Like I know he's wearing contacts in the movie to emphasize it, but he's got like a hundred yard stare. Sure. I mean, it definitely complements the creepy look they were going with the Ripper. Yeah. Um, honestly, this scene might be one of the best in the movie. And like watching this movie, whether it's fresh or having seen it before, it starts off pretty good. It is over the top, but come on. That's what we expect from Arnold movies, especially in this situation where it's a movie within a movie and it's intending to lay on the cheese. You yeah, got your... especially him walking across the top of the cars. Yeah, walking across top of the cars, the one-liner when he hoofs the police officer, right? <laughs> um, even just when he punches the governor, let me know when the governor is here. Uh, quick cameo from Tina Turner, for some yeah, reason. That was that was great. There's uh, so many cameos in this movie. But, like, this scene, and even just, like, the first time I watched it, obviously I knew what was going to happen after, but the first time I was like, how is he going to get the kid away from him? And, like, the, the decoy grenade was actually pretty cool. Right? Yeah. This is a great start to the movie. Unfortunately, it goes downhill after that. Immediately afterwards. Immediately. <laughs> um, and that's when the uh, the film uh, is out of focus and we're introduced to Danny Madigan. Uh, young kid played by Austin O'Brien, I think. Um, and he goes to tell uh, the projectionist, Nick, uh, who has fallen asleep, I believe. Yeah. That, uh, he needs to fix the film. There's an obvious long friendship between the two. Um, I, I do find it weird that he seems to be cool with Danny skipping school to go to the movies. Well, I mean, okay, there's so many things to unpackage here. First, I want to say, not a fan of Austin O'Brien in this movie. I was when I saw it as a kid, watching it as an adult. He is one of the most annoying things on screen ever. Yeah, and again, it's hard to differentiate in this situation um, or to, sorry, categorize if it's Austin O'Brien specifically or if it's the role they gave him because there's some scenes where, like, he really lays on just, like, cheese and overacting more than I would have liked, but at the same time, like, I feel like a lot of this movie is aiming for that, so it might have been the direction telling him to do that. So, like, I'm going to give him a pass on this, but I absolutely do not like... And I'll say the character, Danny, rather than the actor, because it might not be the actor. Well, let me learn you something. Uh, he was also in My Girl 2, and his acting is no better there. Well, I've never seen My Girl 2, and I don't know if I will, so you did learn me something there. <laughs> so, getting no, away from that. First of all, Nick wakes up and he tells him, you better get to school or you're going to be four hours late. What but theater, like, even in a matinee situation, is open that early? I, I don't know, man. I also don't know how we could be four hours late for school before, and the sun hasn't even fully risen yet. And the other thing I don't understand is how this theater is even remotely in business. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody there. Well, there's a homeless guy sleeping in there. But not just that, like, when they they show Danny get up to go to the projection room, the thing is in shambles, it's in disarray, it's dirty, it's falling apart. And like Nick says, I'm going to be doing a midnight screening for the new Jack Slater, which, 
Yeah, let's get the guy who can't stay awake during the daytime while a movie's playing to do a midnight screening. That's a good idea. I did like that old theater, though, man. Uh, it Like, honestly, if you just show me a photo of that theater and you're like, this is an old-timey theater in New York, I would go along with that. Look, I like old-timey theaters. I like classic-looking vintage venues, but that just looked more dilapidated than, than old or charming yeah, pretty or gross. humble. Um, so anyway, yeah, so he's doing a midnight showing of Jack Slater, even though he can't stay asleep, and he tells the kid, yeah, come back and maybe I can get you in. And like you said, they hint at a relationship, like the kid even says, like, I've seen the movie how many times, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. They clearly have a bit of a rapport. But yeah, like a lot of issues with this introduction scene, but at least he sends the kid off to school. Yeah, and when he gets to school... The teacher is showing a clip from Hamlet. And just to show how obsessed Danny is with the Jack Slater character, he begins to reimagine Hamlet as if it were a Jack Slater action movie. I thought it was fun. It was fun. It was, again, like, a little bit more entertaining, like the first scene. Um, Sandwich, you know, like the bread of a shitty sandwich with his Danny part in the middle. (laughs) One thing I did like about this is when the teacher was introducing it, mm-hmm. she she said Hamlet was like the first action hero. Yeah, I picked up on that too. And I kind of like that because, again, the movie's called Last Action Hero. We move on to all, like, what Jack Slater has become as an icon and monumental and, like, versus what Hamlet was at his time. That was just a nice little touch to call him the first action hero. Yeah, it was good. The, the movie itself has a lot of good small bits, but they just don't add up to a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from school, we uh, have Danny's mother angry at him for skipping so much uh, as she's getting ready to leave for her night shift. And she, Danny's she, just... Yeah? She does cover for him, though, right? Like we she do does. see That she says he was sick and... <sighs> You know, because she's a chartered member of the PTA. Like, that's some sort of prestigious thing. Yeah. And then so nonchalantly just throws in, ah, oh, you know, jokingly, I didn't expect to be a widow before I was 40. It's like, oh, it's taking this a little lightly. I don't Yeah, that's pretty dark material. Yeah. At least she's a good parent in that she goes off to work and just leaves him home alone without even attempting to get somebody to watch him. Yeah, this scene's actually pretty dark the more we talk about it, I'm realizing. Uh, I I missed the widow part the first view. I did catch it on my second. But, like, looking at the state of the tiny apartment, they're both crammed in. Um, The locks on the doors, I don't know if you noticed that giant lock. No. No? No. Oh, yeah, it's a bar um, that wedges into the floor and actually locks in place against the door. That's New York. I don't know if that's typical or if that's just meant to emphasize how poor of a situation they're in. Yeah, I just Um, thought they were in a bad neighborhood. And obviously they are. I mean, the guy, like a thief, breaks in immediately. There's so many issues with this scene as well. (laughs) But I don't know if we're at that yet, so just keep going. No. um, I I was just going to gloss over the actual theft where he gets berated by the thief who even gives him the, the knife and an opportunity to stab him, and he doesn't. Um, but eventually he ends up at the police station after you know giving his report to the police. 
tries to make it to the theater in time for the screening. Now, I do want to point out something here. Yeah. Danny is shown in his apartment doing his homework. He looks yes. at the clock. It's 11.15. He gets robbed. Down. He gets robbed. He gets handcuffed. The key is thrown into the toilet, so you assume it took him a little bit of time to fetch it out and get himself unhandcuffed, or the police unhandcuffed him. He went to the police station, where I assume they took a statement, only for the police to not take him home, which I found, like, the kid just got robbed in the middle of the night, the mom's not coming home from her shift right away, and they just send him out onto the streets themselves. But, all of this took place for him to look at the clock in the police station, and it's 11.53. Yeah, and I mean, if we know anything, New York police uh, stations, police offices, are uh, are very, very quick. There's yes. never any waiting whatsoever. Yes, and, and that definitely everything. doesn't come up later in the movie either. Nope. Um, but seriously, <laughs> look, it's thir- bad. 38 minutes to go from... Robbed, handcuffed, escaped, to the police station, statement given, and then, oh, geez, it's 11.53. I should get out of here to make it to the movie in time. I got nothing for you there, man. It's just poor writing. Did you catch on to the time? Uh, I got the 11.15, and I did not notice the uh, the clock at the police station, no. Yeah, because like, they zoom into it when he like notices the clock. Like, oh, I can still make it, right? Which... As soon as he gets to the theater, Nick's like, well, I didn't think you were going to make it. So you assume he's a little late, but like he could have been a lot later with the whole police thing. Yeah. Also, keep in mind, this Jack Slater character is huge in the in the film world. There's no one else there to watch that movie. I don't think he really needed to be there at midnight. Well, it wasn't it was not it, it was wasn't a preview, like a private screening. He was testing the reel, I think he said. Right. Yeah, which, it was a screen te- uh, print test. Yes, which yeah. I'm assuming is potentially done with nobody there, just the employees to make sure that it works. Mm-hmm. Um, especially but, with uh, things like you know street dates and private viewings, like maybe they're not allowed to. So he was gonna sneak them in or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Either way, midnight is you know nonsensical. It doesn't need to be midnight. It doesn't. But I mean, you can just assume. If it's a small, rundown theater, it doesn't have a lot of screens, maybe they're showing a late movie that goes until closer to midnight, and that's why he has to do it then? Could be. We're spending way too much time on this, though. Yeah, I didn't question that part (laughs) of it, so whatever. But this is where um, Nick gives Danny the magic ticket, which uh, Nick had been given by Harry Houdini when he was a child. It's cool. I like the idea of the magic ticket. Uh, Golden ticket kind of pulled me to... uh, uh, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, though. So he gets a ticket from Houdini when he's a child. He says to Danny, like, it's yours now. Cool. Passing on a memento. Uh, like, they clearly have a relationship. Yep. None of that bothered me, except for their dialogue during it. Danny Definitely. asks, what does it do? It's a ticket. right unless houdini flat out said to the guy hold this near the theater and if you're the right person you can go into the movie what would you think it would do what in your mind would you be like oh i wonder if this uh cooks me dinner like it's a ticket yeah i mean he's just a dumb kid 
I'll I'll give him uh, a break on that one. But then Nick's response. No, no. Nick's response is, I don't know. I was too afraid to try. Try what? (laughs) What were you going to do with the ticket to try it? Submerge it in water? Pour chemicals on it? Rub it onto animals? Like, what would you try to do with a ticket, Nick? And you're not the child in this situation. Yeah. And then Danny says... On top of that... Yep, go when ahead. he gives him the ticket, just rip it in half. Yep. So here's a memento that I kept since I was a child. Even if I want to pass it on to you to keep, I'm going to now rip it in half immediately. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. And I mean, you know, like, when Nick is questioning it, Danny again, like, he's like, well, what if it did work? Well, I don't know. What if it did work? Like, it's a... <laughs> Move on. I'm not going to get past this. Good. All right. Um, so the, the film starts up and, uh, the opening credit song is Angry Again by Megadeth. I'm already sold on Jack Slater 4 now, by the way. Um, a beautiful sweeping shot onto the, uh, the grounds of a mansion that's owned by Tony Vivaldi, where he and his henchman Benedict, who is, uh, uh, Charles Dance, Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. Love Charles uh, Dance. So good. Uh, they've got Jack's favorite second cousin, Frank, tied to a chair trying to get info out of him about what i think what what does slater know some along the lines that poor art carney man he had the shit kicked out of him in that movie <laughs> i i gotta say the stuff that takes place in jack slater yeah is far better and should have been the entirety of the movie because then you can at least be a little bit more forgiving of the over-the-topness of the cheesiness of the tongue-in-cheek because that's what it's meant to be in my yeah. opinion, it's all the stuff outside of that that is holding this movie down. Oh, yeah. It's basically like when they go to the real world, say like two-thirds into the movie. It all goes get, downhill. It's just still so disappointing. Disappointing. But this scene here, like I thought Vivaldi was fantastic. I love the little thing where he keeps saying common phrases incorrectly. And Charles Dance, who's like the hired hitman clearly doesn't like him is correcting him (laughs) under his breath like these characters have more dimension and personality than the ones that i'm supposed to care about in the in the movie yeah and i really enjoyed this scene it was great um but the whole point of the scene was to not only just establish benedict who will become a major player in the film but uh another plot point of uh he anthony quinn uh vivaldi is telling uh, Frank that his crew and the Torellis are banding together. Sure, why not? Um, and then I, I can't remember if it just cuts from there to uh, Frank's house. Because um, there's police called because of a it's a crack house. Like you, obviously they a, get a call. they get an anonymous tip that it's a crack house, and yeah. Arnold pulls up with groceries because. He's really close with his second cousin. It's his favorite second cousin. It's his favorite second cousin. And uh, again, you know, I enjoy this. Like, even though right. it's it's bad, it's supposed to be bad. And like his banter with the police is just fantastic. He's like, oh, the only drugs you're going to find in there are Tylenol. And if you, you keep going, you're going to need them, right? Like, it's just so bad, but it's in- enjoyable. It's like... Yeah, it's fun bad. It's, it's, it's fun typical- bad. 80s early 90s action movie fun bad yeah 
And then Arnold goes in. And, and finds Frank tied to a chair. Yeah. Poor Frank. His favorite uh, second cousin. Yeah. Frank tells Jack that the mob's banding together and uh, promptly dies. Uh, Frank's body's rigged to a bomb and the house explodes in typical Hollywood fashion. Massive I'm, explosion. I'm guessing that the bomb is triggered by him picking up the cards because otherwise how would the 5, 4, 3, 2... Like when he's flipping the cards, no right? I'm assuming that pulling that off is what started the bomb. It would have to. Again, um, like we just said, it's a bad, it's a bad action movie. Arnold flips way too many of those cards before he picks up what's going on, and by the time he gets to like two, he did, he wouldn't have made it out in time. No, but, but it's he an does. Movie. And of course, it cuts to Danny in the real world who likes to do some annoying narration, and flat out says. Not a scratch on him. Other two police officers are dead. Yep. It's like, shut up, Danny. I don't like people (laughs) that talk when I'm watching a movie. I definitely don't like an annoying little shit talking while I'm watching a movie in the movie. I did love the uh, the mob goons that showed up right after, though. (laughs) Just pull up in their car and just start... Like it's it's so over the top. They're all just hanging out of the vehicle, guns waving in the air. It's just so ridiculous. (laughs) They uh, they shoot the uh, the back end of one of the flipped over cop cars, so it will spin out of the way, so they can drive past it. Yeah, it's so good. But it's Al. I don't know if all of the people there, but I definitely saw Al Jong there, who's a classic. Hey, it's that guy villain. Yeah, Uh, and I'm pretty sure Clint Howard was there too. I didn't notice anything beyond that, but I mean, I don't know if I needed to. And yeah. you get what now is a fun chase scene. Yep, where uh, Danny is magically transported into the film by the ticket. Can we talk about back. why he's transported in there? The dynamite? Yep. Dynamite comes through the theater, which, first of all, okay, if the ticket has magical properties and at some point in the movie somebody mentions like it decides when it works or whatever that ticket that is ticket's a, an asshole as an asshole is an <laughs> asshole the first thing it lets through since nick was a child is dynamite and i love danny's reaction of covering it with popcorn and danny runs away from it understandable right like you're not gonna sit there they never address this at any point in the movie, that nope. dynamite would have gone off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have destroyed that entire theater. It would have at least destroyed the theater, right? Maybe not the entire building. And when he comes back way later in the movie, Nick's like, oh, I fell asleep. I thought you would have left. Dynamite wouldn't have woken you up? He's an old man. Uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> but the dynamite explodes. No, we don't see it explode. I thought it exploded, and that's what launched Danny through the screen and how he ends up falling in the back of Slater's car. Oh, I mean, they do a cut. I don't know if he jumps or if he gets blown into it or... Fine. I mean, I guess it's a little vague, so we'll leave it either way. He's in the back of the car. I was really surprised to see a mini-disc player. I didn't realize mini-discs were around in 93. (laughs) I mean, if they were, they weren't (laughs) around for much longer. No. Um, but this is, uh, one of the, uh, T2 references I was, I was talking about earlier. The car chase in the LA river. Oh, okay. Eh. Do you remember that? It's subtle. Yeah. It is subtle. 
But well, still, I mean, it was, it, it, was a, it was a it was a big rig truck and a motorcycle, but sure. Yeah, but that's one of the most memorable scenes from T2, and this is the first thing he did after that. Fair. Um, more of a car chase. Uh, it's really fun action scenes. Um, playing chicken is absolutely hilarious. I love that that comes back later in the movie. Um, but it's probably the best human burn scene I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> is the guy just randomly upside down in the garbage pile? No, no, right before that, right where he's walking, like, completely engulfed in flames. Oh. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would so much rather watch Jack Slater 4. Uh, me too, man. Give me that I actual was... movie. Not. I told you, I was sold from the theme music. <laughs> but, uh, of course, Jack and Danny survived that ordeal, and uh, takes us back to the police station, where we get two very brief cameos one being sharon stone which i'm not entirely sure why she's there uh and the other robert patrick in full t1000 garb see now that was fantastic it's a police station it's a throwback to t2 that makes sense to me sharon stone no idea tina turner earlier no idea no i'm trying to think what would sharon stone even done recently uh wait maybe basic instincts okay never mind <laughs> maybe something that she really regretted in real life that made her owe arnold a favor and <laughs> was regretting that it got cashed in here that's what she was doing <laughs> <laughs> but we get uh, even more movie tropes like the ex-wife calling uh people being partnered up uh like the rabbi uh whiskers the animated cat was voiced by danny devito i thought it was kind of fun I loved their reaction to it when, yeah. when like, Danny's like, there's an animated cat. And Arnold's like, yeah, he was only suspended for a month. And he's like, <laughs> but an animated cat just walked in and he'll do the same thing tomorrow. <laughs> just uncredited Danny DeVito, if I'm not mistaken. It is Danny DeVito, yeah. That, you're right, man. Like, the Jack Slater 4 movie is awesome. I, I would watch... A Jack Slater and Whiskers move buddy cop, cop movie in a second. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I'm down. Partner yeah, him I'm up with him. Whiskers. Jeez. Uh, we're also introduced to uh, F. Murray Abraham's uh, John Practice, uh, old friend we're led to believe. Um, hmm. We get to see Lieutenant Decker again, who we saw in the very first scene, uh, played by Frank McRae. Uh, I remember him from uh, The Teacher at the beginning of the original Red Dawn film. I think he's an amazing actor, and he's perfectly cast as the lieutenant here. Oh, it's just the over-the-top yelling and just fantastic. I thought this was great. Yeah. Uh, the two the two argue. Danny lets, uh, lets in on what he knows about the movie universe. Uh, Jack and Deck are completely unimpressed that he keeps talking about this movie uh, until... Danny provides information about the uh, the mob plants. Uh, I thought it was, you know, it's a good way of teaming them up in the like fictitious movie world. It worked for me. Honestly, like you didn't even need that much in the in the way that they were building up Jack um, Slater movies as just like complete camp. Yeah, I wouldn't have even expected that much. It was good though. Yeah, it was fine. It worked. Um, Danny it was disappointing because he teams him up with Danny and not Whiskers, but it was all right. But it gets even better. Right after that, we're uh, we have Danny trying to prove that they're in a movie by taking Jack to Blockbuster. 
I did enjoy this scene. Where we get our third T2 reference. Because uh, Danny's trying to show Jack that Arnold is the Terminator and that Jack and Arnold are the same person. But we see a giant cardboard standee of who as Terminator? Sylvester Stallone. Perfect. Which, I, I mean... That was I, hilarious. I read somewhere in... I think it was in IMDb trivia that there is VHS boxes somewhere in the shot in the background or something that they forgot to change and it is Arnold on oh, really? a movie. Yeah, I don't remember exactly where I read it. I didn't, like... I would have to look it up, but I swear I read something to that effect and I just find that hilarious. But it would have been, like, just a small little goof, I guess. Yeah, it's fun trivia, though. Yeah. That leads right into another strange cameo of Angie Everhart working the counter. Yeah, but I mean, it does lead to, like, one of the few things that I liked about Danny is how he, like, calls out movie tropes in the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it leads to the conversation of, like, like she's way too attractive to be working in this video store. And, like, where are all the unattractive people and... Every phone number is 555. They can only be so many. Like, it really does hearken to a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool if you have to do these scenes anyway. Jack and Danny go to uh, Vivaldi's house and Oddjob answers the door. Another great cameo. I loved it. Um, well, I, I think we got to point out first how they get there. Right? Like, driving? they're just driving. And Danny, because he saw it in the movie, is like, Oh, right. Because, okay, it's it's Los Angeles. If it was realistic and Danny had seen the house but didn't know where it was, the likelihood of them driving right by it is very low. So, again, you're combining all these movie tropes with, yeah, of course we're going to drive by that house because it's convenient for Danny to point it out. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's definitely having fun with being overly self-referential in that sense. They're self-aware, not referential. Um, yeah, it was nice to see Oddjob, though. I haven't seen him in a long time. Um, Jack and Benedict, I have uh, this is my sentence I have written right here. Jack and Benedict have a man off before Jack and Danny leave. I, you know what though, I did enjoy it though. It was great. Like their banter back and forth. Yeah, like who who like. Who's asking? The Tin Man. Maybe hit the bricks. They're not my color. Maybe crimson red or whatever he says is your color. Yeah. Like, they have a great chemistry for an over-the-top cheat. Like, I would have loved it if they just did Jack Slater and they had Benedict as the villain. Because Charles Dance is fantastic. Oh, yeah. He makes that character. I couldn't see anybody else playing it. Absolutely. And he adds a type of humor to it that's not, like... You know, the over-the-top or cracking jokes. He has the more subtle, dark, kind of tongue-in-cheek humor that I really enjoy. Oh, yeah. And not even just the humor, though. Like, when he's uh, closing the door as uh, Jack and Danny are leaving, and you can see him, like, with his back to the door, he's eavesdropping on Danny, talking about how he saw them in the back of the house when he was watching the start of the movie. Just the look on his eye of, like, confusion and interest. and Like, he conveyed so much it's awesome i i think i think charles dance is probably the best actor um in his role in this movie 
Yeah, I would agree. The entire time that we see him on screen is amazing. Yep. Moving on. Um, yeah. We meet the daughter, Whitney. And I couldn't remember where I knew her from. Uh, Billy Madison. Time. Yeah, teacher from Billy Madison. That's what I knew it from. Yeah. Uh, at her house. Amazing house. Uh, Jack shows Danny old counterfeit money, which I'm not sure why they have it especially at Whitney's house and then obviously cramming in the information that it turns funny colors when it's burned like heavy heavy handed foreshadowing here yeah it's action like campy foreshadowing <laughs> and yeah, I didn't just, question it I I couldn't help it man like yeah I get the foreshadowing that's great but there's just stacks of counterfeit money at the cop's daughter's house See, this is the thing, and maybe it's my mentality, but like all of the scenes that take place in Jack Slater, I kind of forgive because it's trying to be over the top to create. Yeah, it's trying to create that contrast, right? So it's going even further above than what a campy action movie from Arnold would normally be. And because of that mentality, I'm more forgiving of it. And that's probably why... Like, I can say, I enjoyed these parts of it, and the yes. movie just nosedives when they're not doing that, because I don't have a reason to forgive it. And that's that's fine. I just find it weird that we get this over-the-top scenario, and then it's juxtaposed with Jack seeing a photo of him and his son, and has like a mini breakdown, and it's emotionally traumatizing for him, so he ends up going to buy cigars to clear his mind. Like... I don't even know if it was like they were trying to balance it out. It just seemed like those two things should not have gone together in that one scene. Yeah. I think it was just a way to cram it all in. Cause they had like the easiest way for him to see the money, like the picture stashed in the drawer is cause he's looking at the money and pulls it up. Yeah. Um, easy way to get him out of the house too. Yeah. It, it's all just plot convenience. Which I want to talk about later, too. Um, sure. Uh, and as he is out, Benedict and his goons arrive at Whitney's house, uh, trying to find out why Danny knows what he does. Uh, and this is what really sold me on Charles Dance. I loved him before, uh, especially like we were just talking about his banter with Arnold. But he can even carry a scene with Austin O'Brien. Yeah. yeah. And he does it well. It's, it's a good thing that... Um... What's her name? Whitney? Whitney. It's a good thing that Whitney had no problem with Arnold leaving a stranger in the house while she went for an hour-long shower. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had this interaction with uh, yeah. with uh, Benedict and Danny. But it really does go to show Benedict is a smart guy. Very smart. And also a bit of a dick. Well, yeah. I mean, he's he's a murdering henchman. He's not, uh, not yeah, going to but... be a nice guy. No, little things like uh, Danny yelling, like, if you harm a hair on her head. And he that was over. fantastic. Not <laughs> dickheadish. He just called him out on it. I love that part. He's like, hold on. Wait a second. Pulls one hair out. Because he doesn't need to harm Whitney. He just no. wants to essentially call his bluff. Yep. Grabs that one hair, walks over, bends down, holds it in front of Danny's face, and just breaks it. I don't know. That made him like the hero of the movie to me, not the 
<laughs> not an asshole. That was great, though. Um, the next part I'm kind of confused about, uh, where Danny gives Benedict the money trying to uh, pay him off to get to leave. Um, and well, Benedict knows that it's fake. I don't know. I guess it is just the, the script itself, like you were saying earlier. But the idea that just burn it right off the bat seems kind of weird. But I understand it is a way to uh, get Jack to see that something is wrong in the house when he sees the funny colored smoke coming out of the chimney. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just plot convenience. Um, like, Danny's really lucky that the that his reaction is to burn it rather than just say, leave it, and then there's no heads up. Yeah. And, yes, I understand it's it's how a movie gets away with shit like that, like, especially action films. I, normally, I'd be like, I wouldn't weigh on that too much. But the same kind of convenience happens in the real world in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'll get to that, too. Anyway, sorry, I digress. We have a, another car chase, uh, and Danny plays chicken with the car before realizing he's a sidekick and can die in the movie. Actually, I believe he calls himself the comedic relief comedic sidekick. Comedic relief, yeah. And there's nothing funny about him. There is absolutely nothing funny about him. He there's would nothing be... funny about the, the E.T. spoof. He would be the shittiest comedic relief in a movie, so you're being a little generous when you call yourself that, but Yeah. Yeah. I honestly can't think of anything he's done after My Girl 2. That's probably for the better. Sure. Uh, Whitney's house explodes from uh, a bomb that is actually one of Benedict's glass eyes that he carries around. Which I thought is a really cool little gimmick. Yeah. Oh, unnecessary, but it's there. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, unnecessary is the next scene where it's uh, Lieutenant Decker just berating the guys and calling for their badges, but he actually has smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> <laughs> I also He's... read somewhere, and I don't know if it's this rant, um, that he, during one of his rants, has an audible F word. Hmm. Which is kind of funny because before the house explodes, Danny writes down the word on the pad of paper, which we are to assume is something like the F word or whatever, and goes to Jack to try and prove it's a movie that he can't say it because it's PG-13. So I just thought that was kind of a cool little tidbit as well, which I didn't go back to research myself. I'm just going on the word of like IMDb trivia. I would like to believe that. I'm choosing to. Like... All that's right. that's it's I'm choosing fact. to believe that. All right, it is fact set in stone. <laughs> uh, I really like the next scene. I don't know about you. Um, I say it's probably one of the best in the movie. Is uh, Danny and Jack going to Jack's apartment and seeing that it's almost empty? Do we not see um, Benedict first? Um, not when he goes to the real world, but this is where he's checking Danny's wallet. He finds oh, the ticket, be. and he kind of like he goes, I guess, like to lean against the wall, and his hand starts to go through. Uh, no, that happens after. Does it? Yeah, it happens right after this scene. Oh, I had it the other way around in my notes for some reason. Uh, maybe I do. It's irrelevant. It's a it's a minor scene, yeah. but it just goes to show that, like, you know, like Benedict isn't just hopping through right away. He's slowly starting to 
like piece together this stuff and we see that he can sort of and we also see that the ticket is continuing to be an asshole <laughs> yeah only working with the villain now only like it's worked for dynamite technically danny came through because of the dynamite so i don't even know if the ticket was opening for him it might have just still been open from the dynamite and it lets benedict through which now that i think about it when they follow benedict through they also follow him does the ticket actually open for them at any point <laughs> like this ticket is an asshole i think you're right there is one obviously the final time the ticket opens yeah. for them but, like, up until then, it's just opening for dynamite and villains, and these guys happen to be following through. Violence. The ticket loves violence. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we, we go to the scene in the apartment with the ninja in the closet. <laughs> ninja in the closet. Well, or ninja or uh, somebody just waiting to ambush him. Because he comes in and he shoots the closet. And he's like, there's someone in there. How'd you know? Because there's always someone in there. Cost me a fortune in closet doors. I don't remember that at all. Wow. That's brilliant. So they walk into the apartment. And when he goes to go into the closet, he shoots it twice first. Opens it up and there's like a henchman. I thought it was more dressed like a ninja, but probably just like black stealthy clothing or whatever. Like there's, falls. There's no way that I would forget that. All right, you know what? I wonder if I have a different version of the movie. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our friend Tim. Knights and Nerds is not just an actual play D&D podcast with an original campaign being played by a group of friends who tolerate each other. It's also a podcast where I, the Dungeon Master, talk about how I'm adapting to the choices the players make, as well as revealing to you, the audience, the complex story and deadly twists that I have in store for my players. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or at knightsandnerds.com. Thank you so much, Tim, and we're back. I don't know how I missed that. Twice. In a row. I mean... That is hilarious. It's a pretty quick scene. It is a pretty fun one, in my opinion. Um, But, you know, whatever. You miss stuff. It's great. It, it's it's more just like a tongue-in-cheek part to the more important thing, which is the discussion about Jack Slater's life, which kind of hints at how it is a movie, so he doesn't really have that much recollection, like, before and after the credits would roll, right? Yeah. No, it's... He's always doing some sort of action on screen, so you don't really see his personal life, thus the personal life doesn't really exist. Yes, so when they're forced to put it in there because he takes Danny to his apartment. Exactly. It's not spectacular because you don't have it in the movie. His daughter, on the other hand, which would have been a scene in the movie had Danny not interjected, has a house. Yes. Right. And then, you know... Oh my know, god, are we complimenting the writing? Um, yeah, but again, I'm complimentary to the Jack Slater portions. So... Yeah. okay. That's still really cool, though. I like that. Yes, and, I mean, this is also where he reveals that he, his ex-wife is remarried and doesn't call him. And he pays a lady at, I forget what he said. I think I think he said the post office or somewhere to call and pretend to be his and wife. Pretend. Which I found that also, really... That's really sad. It's sad, but I also found it really odd because, like, he says, like, do you think I would really marry a woman who's stupid enough to, like... 
not understand the difference between me and a, a recording or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it made me go back and look at the tapes that he has for his recording. Because this is how my brain works, right? All right. So I'm going to read you the labels on the tapes that he has where he picks the one to play for his wife. All right? All right. Blown up house. Ex-mother-in-law. <laughs> creditors. Governor's <laughs> office. Twin brother did it. Girlfriend. Internal affairs. Wrecked car. Working late. And out of town. Other than the one that he picks up, which is for his wife, which is like the shrew or something like that. Yeah. These tapes contradict what he just said. Yeah. Because some of them are scenarios, right? Like blown up house, right? Which, how would you have a recording for that? But then the other ones are like ex-mother-in-law. Does he pay another woman to call and be his ex-mother-in-law? When he has official creditors or the governor's office call, does he play okay. a tape? You said creditors. I heard predators. Oh, no, it was creditors. Oh, predators would have been so much better. It would have been. But, like, and then, like, working late. Who's he playing the working late one for? His or daughter? Out of town. Or his wife? His girlfriend? I. <laughs> I don't know why it made me go back and look and put these two together, but I just couldn't help myself because, you know me, that's what I do. Jack's life is very sad. Very sad. <laughs> but apparently he wouldn't marry a woman stupid enough to not understand that he's talking to a recording. But he does interact with other stupid people in his life who don't realize it's a recording. Which Waiting for the uh, deleted scenes where it's Jack just recording those tapes. <laughs> But hey, you felt bad about crediting the writing in this scene. I just gave you a reason to take away credit from that scene. There you yeah. go. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I hate oh, how my man. brain works. I the, the way your brain works mixed with this movie might have been a terrible idea. Hey, you did it to me, man. I, like I, did I said, it to myself. My heart jumped, and I was excited for like end of days or something and you dropped a bomb with last action hero so this is what you get man yeah end of days would have been a great choice great choice but we didn't choose it no so now we're going to talk about how jack and danny realize that vivaldi is going to have the torellis taken out at leo the farts funeral yes which again now here we got over the top plot convenience where all of a sudden arnold remembers that canisters were stolen just the night before right or a couple yeah, nights yeah. prior or whatever right and it just it's all convenient nothing that was mentioned earlier nothing that took place in the plot of jack slater earlier but it's all oh. in there for convenience and they put it all together it's great i have no problem with that no that was hilarious like i said in this scenario i can forgive it yeah um and i guess yeah they just have uh the gas canisters rigged to explode inside of the corpse at yes. the funeral. Because they knew that the entire mob that Vivaldi was trying to get rid of would be attending the funeral. Yes. It's actually a good like, plot attempt for a villain in one of these action movies. Yeah, it really is. So they get there, and this is where they find out the practice is... Yes. Practice double-crosses Jack. 
I actually had a really fun line in this one, too. Because when Arnold... Actually, there was two when Arnold tells him to wait in the car. And Danny's like, maybe that's what gets me killed. And he's like, there's a, nu- there's a gun in the glove compartment. And then the <laughs> guns just pour out of it. Um, but the other one was, like, Arnold remembers when Danny said he killed uh, Mozart. Right? Referring to, I'm guessing, a different movie. Right? Uh, yeah. And, but... Uh, uh, practice is like I kill so many people I can't remember all their names because he can't because he doesn't know that they're in a movie so he's thinking like oh all these people I betrayed and that was kind of a fun scene yeah and explaining the entire plot which again typical movie trope but then Danny who is explaining to him how they get caught by talking too much talks too much and gets caught himself Stupid Danny. Okay, I'm going to go out and say it like, this movie does have some great writing. It does, but... Instances are few and far between. They're few and far between, and they're not enough to hold up the movie. And I'll say it, because we haven't gotten there yet. If this movie ended sooner after they left for the real world, because I think Mm -hmm. that's where the movie really drags and nosedives... If that was a shorter scene and was just kind of like straight to a final confrontation, I might even say that this was a decent movie. Yeah. It's just that when you have two hours and ten minutes and the final 45 minutes are horrible real world stuff, <laughs> it, just, it kills the experience. At least if it was the other way around and the first 45 minutes were bad and they ended on a high note, you might come out of it feeling a little bit more, you know, positive. Yeah, like it would have actually made up for the slog that was the beginning of the movie. But instead, it almost feels like the end of this movie is punishment for enjoying the first part so much. Exactly. There's a lot of movies in movie history where it's a slow start. And a lot of people will even say that. Oh, yeah, it, it, it was slow to start. The plot wasn't really developing. But then when it kicked into gear, it was fantastic. Yeah. Just a terrible idea. But I'm getting too far ahead of myself. And this is kind of almost right into my final thoughts of the movie. Uh, but anyway, they get kidnapped, captured, and they get saved conveniently, like in any other movie, by random partner, Whiskers. Yes, just in time. Just in the nick of time. And honestly, I wish he took over Danny's role at this point. <laughs> just shoots Danny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he might not shoot Danny, but maybe he doesn't make it in time. And yeah. the bad guys shoot Danny first, even though they want him to watch Jack Slater die. We get a pretty uh, wicked action scene after they're freed, though. Um, that elevator scene with the helicopter I thought was a lot of fun for Arnold. Yeah, I mean, first Arnold tells Danny, who is a kid from the real world, to go man a crane. Um, Which I don't understand. How he would even think that Danny knows how to do that, unless he's bought into the movie concept that Danny will conveniently know. Or being a movie character, it's his personality to believe that things will be conveniently the way he needs them to be. It has to be. It has to be. Um, but whatever. Um, yeah, the whole point is to use the crane to get uh, Leo's body away from the rooftop funeral. Mm-hmm. Which he does and drops it in the La Brea tar pits, which I thought was kind of funny. But Arnold falls in with him. The, 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 <laughs> the least sticky tar you've ever seen. That and he can easily so swim through and wipe off. 
It's so good. Leo's what? body does explode in the pits, and the viscosity, the the density of the uh, tire actually contains the gas. Which doesn't make sense, because with Arnold swimming through it and wiping it off, it shows that the tar doesn't have that kind of viscosity. Exactly. But, hey, cool, whatever. (laughs) It's so much fun. And conveniently, his daughter shows up with fresh clothes. And Danny even points to that, like, just, like just brought you clothes you just white he even says he's like you know tar normally sticks to people right <laughs> like these are the subtle things and even danny was good in that part yeah. that you should have just stayed in this universe and we don't unfortunately and it's the next scene where we pretty much end up in the real world because jack and danny uh drive that truck through that wall yep hard yep um but it was before that, actually, where um, Benedict is sitting at Vivaldi's house. And that's where he puts his hand through the wall. And then... No, that's the second time. That's the second time? Okay. Because mm-hmm. I thought he did that before going in and killing Vivaldi. He does do it there as well. But the first time that he kind of notices the ticket is when uh, when they leave okay. the house and he had taken Danny's wallet. That's when he's looking at, like, the New York ID or whatever. And yeah. he lost the eye. So he goes into his closet. I assume it's a closet where, like, he has, like, the kind of the rotating dolly case. of eyes. And that's the first time that he just kind of, like, touches the wall. Um, right. 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 And then, like, the next time is here with Vivaldi where he's, like, almost like he's kind of reaffirming a theory not the first time he's seen it type thing Mm -hmm. because he's still hesitant to go through he doesn't go through on his own no well he doesn't even choose to go through no because uh, arnold drives through the wall after benedict kills vivaldi yeah and (laughs) arnold throws him into odd job and they both collide through the wall and Arnold even has a great subtle line where he's like, normally when I do that, it leaves a hole. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where the movie just dies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is one funny scene in the in the, the real world. Um, after the, uh, the chase begins, there's a, a car chase and Jack tries to play chicken again. No, no, you're forgetting something that needs to be pointed out first. The shooting of the cab shooting of the cab here's another explosion for your movie yeah and just shoots the cab that benedict and odd job are trying to get away in and nothing happens they just keep driving on because cars don't just <laughs> explode in real life <laughs> uh, i loved the the car chase i loved the the scene of chicken though i did too um and i think it's just because of uh jack slater's um attitude reaction to it no man it's not even that for me it's just watching the cars from (laughs) danny's perspective at the end of the alleyway watching the cars race towards each other and just smash into each other (laughs) i like that part too i like that part too but it's it's to me it's emphasized by the fact that arnold gets out and he's like this brand of car standard airbag cab no airbag who's the idiot now type thing or whatever he says yeah, um, it's good, but I just the impact of those two cars I thought was absolutely hilarious. Yes, yes, 
I will also like to point out that earlier when they follow Benedict through the theater, mm-hmm. the camera conveniently doesn't show any of the theater area where Danny was sitting because I was hoping to see some TNT damage. Nothing. No, well, they're running up the side aisle, which again probably would have taken damage, but you'd have to infer in that situation. And like, I I specifically looked to see if there was a camera angle that showed like the middle of the theater where Danny was sitting, and they don't. I was a little disappointed by that. That's all right, man. You can't win them all. Yeah, I know. I really wanted that one though for my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get a really weird, almost depressing scene immediately after uh jack finds out that benedict has escaped the cab and wasn't like didn't really get injured in the crash uh where he sees the giant ad for the new jack slater movie and realizes he is in fact just a movie character yeah and this is a this is like the cab part was still decent this is where the movie starts to take a dive because it tries to dive into emotion well, here it turns into some weird, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, somber, heavy theme of existentialism in an Arnold movie, which just doesn't work. That's kind of what I meant when I said emotion, just kind of generalizing. Mm. They should have stuck to the comedy and the action where they try to give Jack Slater some like self you know realization and some depth as a character in that regard just bogs the movie down it really does i mean he already accepts the fact that he's the classic uh, hollywood famous hollywood comedian arnold braunschweiger he says a he says multiple different names actually yeah i i thought it was braunschweiger twice uh he says he says two different things okay yeah because that's how he introduces himself in the next scene where danny introduces jack to uh, his mother uh, well, first we have the scene with Nick, actually. Oh, yeah, saying the ticket works? Yeah, like they go and, and Nick finds, or uh, Danny finds Nick. Nick is, like, surprised. Like, he, he, this is where he mentions, like, he fell asleep and he thought Danny just left, right? Like, oh, which I was alluding right. to earlier with the TNT. Um, and then he tells, you know, Nick that the ticket worked and, and Nick, kind of gets all excited about the prospect, but sees Arnold or who he thinks is Arnold, but is really Jack Slater in the doorway. And he accepts that it's Jack Slater very quickly, very yes. easily. And I completely just glossed over the scene because I, I was already getting bored at this point. In the oh movie. yeah. Oh yeah. And honestly, like I brought that up, but all like the entire point of that scene is for Arnold to, be a little bit more mopey about finding out that he's not real and and just didn't need to be there. No. Um. The only thing that really could have made or that really did make any part of the real world stuff entertaining is Charles Dance and Benedict seeing how the real world works, where crime runs rampant and nobody seems to care. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Because, I mean, Benedict has proven to be a smart, resourceful character. And he's piecing together how things work. But his mm-hmm. ultimate his ultimate downfall, which we'll get to, is that he can't piece it together fast enough. No. But he does something that I thought was really cool. And I, I forgot that he did this in the movie because it had been so long. 
but using the ticket to enter the movies has pulled out the Ripper from the new Jack Slater movie. Oh, no, no, the, the previous, previous one. Jack Slater. Yeah, yep. Jack Slater 3. Uh, and is promising him the chance of killing the real Arnold Schwarzenegger at the premiere of the new Jack Slater movie. Yeah, and I mean, he even alludes to, um, Bennett even alludes to, like, going in and getting other villains and getting more help. Later and... on, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's smart because he's making other people do the work for him. Yeah, and he knows that, like, with the ticket, it's almost like an endless resource of whatever he wants. Yeah. Right, no matter how outlandish. Uh, Because the ticket will work for villains. Apparently. Like, this ticket is an asshole. This ticket, not only let Benedict go through, but let Benedict go into Jack Slater 3 and come back with the Ripper. Thanks, ticket. I'd be super curious to know what the characters in Jack Slater 3 would have thought at that point. I don't know. I don't care. (laughs) I hate to say, I don't even care. Um... While out looking for a Benedict, Danny's telling Jack that the world stinks, but Jack states that the world is what you make of it, which I thought was pretty heavy-handed, kind of the main point of the movie. It doesn't matter, you know, in the movies, out of the movies, your world is what you make it. Yeah, that's what I wanted in this movie, a moral of the story. Definitely, when we're already bored. Yeah. Oh, and Um, it only gets worse when they go see his mom. Yeah. Yeah. I think I left that out of my notes altogether. Did you now? Yeah. I mean, all of my notes for that scene revolve around how his mom apparently doesn't know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Yeah, didn't recognize him. She mentions the next day, like, something really offhand, like, oh, but you couldn't be him or something like that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But apparently she just thinks he's, like, a ridiculous lookalike because she's never seen an Arnold movie. Yeah. I just, I hate it, man. I hate them getting along, having breakfast and everything. It's just, it doesn't need to be in the movie. And then, and then Arnold supporting the mom and like more parenting yeah. sides. And it's just like, nope, shoot a I'm gun, good. get out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> You're wasting my time. Yeah, it's awful. We do get an action scene pretty soon after that though. Um, at the premiere of Jack Slater 4. The best Where... part of the premiere is just seeing the other cameos. Um, because, again, it's kind of funny the way cameos work in this. Like, yeah. the Tina Turner cameo is a different character, right? Yeah. It's the mayor of that town. The Sharon Stone and Robert Patrick are nobody or their characters from other movies. But mm-hmm. then here we have cameos where people play themselves. So it's kind of a nice... Um, juxtaposition um i would have loved it if they had a a a a tom noonan interview in the red carpet they did did they i'm pretty sure yeah oh well this is the one that i missed then (laughs) no i'm pretty sure they did uh, interview him on the carpet you know what Um, now now that you mention it i i think you're right yeah yeah and that's why, isn't that why everybody makes a big deal out of uh, him in his, like, Ripper attire? Because they actually think it is Tom Noonan? Yeah, I, I, that makes more sense. Yeah. And, like, his agent is like, well, what are you doing dressed like this? And gets exactly. axed. Uh, and this is where Jack saves Arnold from the Ripper. 
but the Ripper has captured Danny, and we have a rooftop hostage scene mirroring the opening of our film, as well as, I guess, the ending of Jack Slater 3. Yo, 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 yo. Can we first talk about Arnold? Uh, yeah, if you want to, man. They made Arnold unlikable. Yeah, they made him look like a complete idiot, too. An idiot? A jerk? A shill? Like, every scene in this movie of Arnold playing himself in the real world? Mm-hmm. Like, Maria tells him not to, to um, promote the restaurant. He does it. He's stupid and doesn't figure out any of what's going on. Tackles the other guy. Thinks that Jack Slater is an amazing lookalike, which, come on, like, there's a certain that, level of... That's kind of funny. It is kind of funny, but, like, there's a point where it's like, you're not a lookalike. There's something going on here. Or at least question it. Uh, just... Well, they... Also keep in mind, too, that Arnold was uh, an executive producer on the movie. I'm pretty sure he had a hand in that. He was probably just making fun of himself. But I think he went a little overboard. Maybe. Maybe. I didn't like Arnold in this at all. <laughs> It's like, let Jack Slater take his place. <laughs> anyway, we get back to the rooftop scene. Yeah, what do you think of the uh, the way the Ripper's dispatched? I love that he just throws Danny off the roof. Yeah, I, I mean, it <laughs> showed great. that the Ripper was learning, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good. We're, we're cheering for the villains in this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> But, like, yeah, the, the the Ripper learned from the movie apparently much quicker than Arnold did, but maybe that's because he's in the real world. Um, whereas if Arnold was maybe picking this stuff up in the real world, he would have gotten it faster. Maybe. Or Jack Slater, sorry. Uh, yeah. But, like, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna monologue. I'm not going to tell you my whole plan. I'm just going to grab Danny and throw him off the roof. <laughs> Look familiar, Jack. Simple but effective. Uh, throws his axe at Jack, who dodges it. And then grabs it to hack at the uh, the power lines. Then put the lines in the ground. It's raining on this rooftop now. And somehow doesn't electrocute himself. Even though he's also laying on wet concrete. But yeah, he, um, the as he does it, he uh, rolls onto like the one stand or whatever. Or like the elevated surface. It's still soaked in water. Running water. Yeah, it's not connected to the other water. Okay. The sure. the problem with the scene is not that he jumps onto an elevated platform. It's that he then walks on the lower platform, and we don't see the wires moved. Did they stop no. conducting electricity? Yeah. That's how, you sh- that's how you shut them off, man. You electrocute one person and one person only, and they're dead. All right. Well, I didn't know that, so now you've learned me something about <laughs> electricity, I guess. Um, this is where, uh, Benedict shows up. I love how he just shoots Jack in the chest. I don't. so clever. I loved it, how he just left that one chamber empty. Yeah. Out of bullets. Yeah, but, like, villains gotta learn that Kevlar exists and start shooting for the head. Especially a guy, Benedict, who's made to be this ultimate like sniper in the first scene we see him in way back when they they have his favorite second cousin frank tied up without looking from across the yard he shoots a bullseye right yes it's it's 
not like it's like, oh, this is a, a amateur villain who, if he aimed for somebody's head, couldn't hit it. But Here's he aims... a question for you. Yes, sir. How good do you think his depth perception is with one eye? Apparently fantastic. Yeah, find that strange. Well, I mean, maybe it's the glass eye. Maybe it has a mechanical reticle in it, not just explosives, and it helps him aim. Who knows? Also, okay, yeah, speaking of which, Benedict dies when Jack shoots him in his glass eye, which is one of his glass eye bombs. Why would you actually wear that? Like, if, if I'm going to have, like, potential to throw a bomb or set up a bomb, I probably wouldn't carry it in my skull. I mean, he carries it earlier, too. It just fell out of his eye. Yeah, I just find that so strange. Well, I mean, like, the other one had to be turned to explode, so... Yeah, I guess. It has a safety feature. Great. But, I mean, being shot apparently makes it go off in the real world where explosions don't happen. Like, I don't I don't know, man. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good point. It's contradictory. I don't know. This movie, this movie sucks. <laughs> it does so bad. <laughs> uh, anyway, after uh, Benedict explodes, the ticket uh, lands outside of a theater that's playing the Seventh Seal. And <sighs> okay. There... And we see death leave the screen, entering the real world. I have a real problem with this. Oh, yeah, right? One? Do tell. In every other scene where the ticket opens a theater door, or screen into a door, or portal, or whatever you want to call it, how close is the ticket to it? Pretty close. The ticket lands on the sidewalk outside of the theater showing the movie. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all I'm going to say, I guess. You need to calm down, man. All right. Alright, Jack is dying. Horribly, horribly bloody. That like that that bullet really put a massive hole in his chest. If um, he was shot in the head, he'd already be dead. That's true. Can you imagine if they tried to just take his headless corpse and put that back in the movies? Yeah, I don't think it would have worked. I Probably think there's not. a very specific I mean like I know why I want villains to be smarter, because they'd be more effective, but it wouldn't have worked yeah. for the plot of the movie. No. But Danny and uh, Nick try to get Jack back into the movie world when death approaches. And I don't understand why Danny thinks pulling a gun on death would do anything. I don't understand why death's there. Other than... He's curious. He says he's curious, which, sure. But... Why? (laughs) Well, it's the next sentence he says. He isn't on any of my lists. I guess that makes sense. Does that mean that he can sense him? Is that how he found them? Because it's not like he was following them in the ambulance. He he almost found them. He was just killing people. (laughs) Like, I was just taking a stroll and I happened to walk into this theater? Or maybe. I don't know. I would like to think that he was following them because he could sense that there was somebody in the real world who, you know, isn't real. That's what I choose to believe. The other part of the scene that bothers me, though, is that death is like. I would look for the stub. Yeah, I don't know why Death is given pointers. How does he know anything about the tickets? Very good question. That was not anything that he was a tri- uh, a privy to at any point in the movie. Like, Ripper might have been able to say it because he saw Benedict use yeah. it. I wonder if Ian McKellen read the script before agreeing to do this movie. 
I, th- I mean, Arnold must have been calling in favors left, right, and center. I must have. All right, let's let's wrap up this plot, man. Yeah. So okay. So they open the theater door. They throw Jack in, and we get the happy ending because it turns into what those cheesy action movies have. Danny references earlier where you think he's going to die, and the doctor says something like, what, I'd barely call this a, a flesh, wound, flesh wound, and he is saved in the movie. Yeah, Danny and Nick share a heartwarming scene as Jack drives away, waving from the film screen. It's a bad movie. Oh my god, it's so bad. Well, it's not. It was a great movie, and the final act just shit all over the rest of the movie. Enough so, in my opinion, that it makes it a bad movie. Mm -hmm. Like, cut down the length, make the overall plot of the movie trying to get Danny home, and that way you can cut out the entire part in the real world, and you might have had a better movie. You might have a movie that people wouldn't make fun of years later. There's no question, man. That would make it a great movie. Not maybe. I mean, maybe we'll have a sequel, because the ticket that landed in front of the theater that Death came out of is still just out in the wild. Yeah. I swear, if anybody listening to this has the power to make a sequel, don't. Take what <laughs> I just said. Forget what I just said. <laughs> no, make Jack Slater. Where was the did part you... of the stub that they actually... Did they put it on Jack to go through, or...? I don't remember because that would mean that technically both pieces are still in the wild don't don't put that out there don't make a sequel don't make a sequel make a jack slater i'm I'm down for for slater and whiskers me too i mean like we've had a really really good movie with arnold and danny we had Mm -hmm. a really really bad movie with arnold and danny Mm-hmm. I would love a really, really over-the-top, cheesy, campy, buddy cop animated movie with Arnold and Danny. I would see that on opening day. Did you look at anybody who was involved in the making of this movie? No. This is what doesn't make sense to me. All right. We were ripping on the writing. It was written by Shane Black. Okay. I really like Shane Black a lot. Because this is the list of movies that he wrote. Well, some of them anyway. Lethal Weapon, The Last Boy Scout, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Nice Guys, sadly the new Predator movie, uh, but also worked on the script for the first Predator film, Dead Heat, and The Hunt for Red October. The writing in this movie should not be as bad as it is. But I think that's where we kind of, this is kind of where we cross roads, right? The writing, when you take it in context for the Jack Slater part, Mm -hmm. is actually done very well with a couple of plot holes. Yes. Taken into the whole of the movie, so the movie within the movie and the plot that takes part outside of it is where the writing is done poorly. Mm Mm-hmm. It might have just been a difficult task that he was given. Because if the whole movie was just him doing the Jack Slater stuff, again, I think you'd be putting it into the pile of pros for his career. Yeah, that could be. Um, 
also the director. I don't know if you, I'm guessing you didn't look into him at all either. No. Uh, <laughs> the movies that he's directed that aren't action movies are very boring. Okay. Much like the non-action scenes in this movie, boring. The action scenes I thought were great. Like the like we said, Jack Slater four. That movie's awesome. Yeah, and it's and... because John McTiernan directed Predator, Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, like The Hunt for Red October, Thomas Crown Affair. Like that's what that's his bread and butter. He can direct a wicked action film. But here's the thing, Ben. <laughs> it's not just behind the camera. Right, you have a good writer, you have a good director, you have a hell of a cast. Arnold, yeah. Charles Dance, cameos by Danny DeVito, Robert Patrick, Sharon, like it's Jim Belushi, not, Jim Belushi, <laughs> Tom Noonan. It's not like there isn't good people involved with it. It just yeah. goes to show that that's not enough to make a good movie. No, right? Like this movie is so much wasted potential. You shit on it when you went out into the real world. You completely, like, you just completely rendered Charles Dance's fantastic performance as, like, lost to the history of time because it's in a terrible movie, right? Like, this mm -hmm. movie could have been good. And it could have been good if it was just the Jack Slater parts. Yeah. Well, there is a, a bit on uh, on Wikipedia saying that the attempt to appeal to both action and comedy fans resulted in a film that appealed to neither audience and ultimately succumbed to heavy competition. See, and I think it did appeal to both action and comedy until they tried to get the emotional yep. and moral of the story stuff down in the real world. Yeah. What, uh, what do you think most audiences thought of that movie? I think most audience thought it was a terrible movie. Uh, IMDb says 6.4 out of 10. I don't agree with that. Uh, I'm more along the lines of Rotten Tomatoes. Tomato meters at 38% and the audience score at 47. Even that seems high. Think about how much we laughed and how much we we talked about the good parts of that movie, though, man. You know, if somebody wants to watch this movie, just stop at the yeah. scene where they come out into the real world and you might give it a good review. Yeah, I agree. Everything about this movie could have been great and it was great until they went into the real world and it was just awful but here's the thing the other thing that wasn't great about it was its performance because it tanked uh yeah it lost 33 million overall for for as red like it, hot as arnold was at that oh, time yeah, coming off of terminator 2 that's a very good point yeah the movie sucked like even going into Terminator 2, Arnold was building quite the rapport. And his movies, like, just his name on it was almost automatically a success. Mm -hmm. Losing money, which, I mean, like, $33 million's nothing to scoff at. Yeah, that's lo true. Losing money is a failure in this case. Yeah, $85 million budget that grows to $137. Mm -hmm. They needed, what, $170 just to break even? That's rough. Yeah. I I am so sorry, man. I'm you sorry I made be. you watch this. I'm sorry I made myself watch this again. I'll make it up to you though. Actually, I don't know. Um I I I have an idea for next week's movie. But it's something I haven't seen before. So I don't know if I'm going to put you through hell again or not.
See, I can forgive it because you don't know. All right. You knew less of an offense. You knew what you were getting us into with this one. I haven't seen this movie since 1993. Okay. I haven't seen it since I bought the DVD, which would have been the second time I seen it. Cause I saw it when it was new. I saw it when I bought it as part of my collection, but that still would have been like well, 15 years ago. Right. So regardless, I regardless, own the movie novelization. I just anyway, found it the other day. I could have told you that it was a bad movie, even based on those viewings from the past. I didn't need yeah, to watch it again now to tell you that it was bad. Um, I, I don't even think growing up, growing up as a movie nerd and a movie geek, and just taking as much pop culture as possible, I really enjoyed the movie uh, from Danny's perspective, because that was me. Hopefully, not as annoying, but that was me. And now watching it, it's just, it's a rough go. Didn't age like you were hoping, did it? Not at all. I mean, I don't think we need to do closing thoughts. I think we're pretty, pretty clear on our yeah. thoughts on it. And I think we agree on that. Yeah. I'm apologizing to anybody listening to this, if they watched it for this episode. That being said, if anybody listening does actually like this movie, has a compelling argument for it, or wants to just join in the pile on and, and bash it, let us know your feedback. You can hit us up on Twitter, at BSBargainBin. You can shoot us an email, BSBargainBin at Outlook.com. Uh, there's, uh, these podcasts are on YouTube, so you can leave a comment in the comment section there, and let us know what you thought. Ben. Yeah, buddy. What are we watching next week, man? <laughs> uh, like I said, I haven't seen it, so I'm not sure uh, if it's any good, but I've heard a lot of good about it. It's directed by one of my favorite directors, starring a great actor. Uh, we are going to be talking about 1989's The Burbs. All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I, I need... This. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the burbs. Morning, Walter! Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in, no one comes out. Neighbors from hell. It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Klopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gas line, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No. The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey, I think we should move. All right, so if you haven't seen it,
get on it, check it out, and then join us next week when we talk about it. Until then, have a great one. All the best, guys.